Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys. Listen, I, great to, to, that you're along with us if you're at home or one of our campuses. If you're in one of the campuses, I gotta tell you how to participate. If you're wearing a mask, and we're not policing any of that, uh, but if you're wearing a mask, you've gotta overdo it because I can't tell. All I can see is your eyes. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So you gotta use your mouth and you gotta use your hands and full body motion and all that. Is that fair enough? Is that fair enough? I am, I am so happy, so happy to be together. Uh, this uh, six months has been challenging to say the least. Now, there is one thing I've liked about the six months of, of COVID is, is, um, is elastic. Uh, I've, uh, <clears throat> I went down to uh, Orvis and I bought some pants with elastic waistband and, uh, and wake up and wear the same pair every day because you don't see anybody. Get a nice shirt on and do Zoom meetings all day long. I enjoyed that and then today, because I'm live, fat boy had to go into the closet and put on a pair of skinny jeans that weren't skinny before. Anybody have a testimony on that? And, uh, but uh, anyway, it's great. It's great to be here. Before I get into what I wanna talk about, I wanna uh, just encourage you to uh, get connected uh, this week. You know, a lot of times uh, I'll talk to people who maybe moved here from somewhere else and I'll say, we just never fit in the city that we were in. Maybe it was the, the job, maybe it was whatever. And as I've kind of just researched it my own way, you know, uh, w- when you don't plug into a life-giving church, it makes wherever you live difficult. It really does. And uh, so I want to challenge you to plug in. Uh, there are several ways to do that this weekend. You can text CONNECT, the word CONNECT, to 320-320. We'll help you to do that. Um, download the app. I was playing with the app this week and, and how you connect on that. Uh, you can go to the group section and uh, it's really neat. They're, they're great ways to connect. You can go in the foyer in any of our campuses and uh, they'll have people there to serve you. So let's all, all get connected this weekend. Uh, we are in a series called It's Not Over. How many of you are glad it's not over? It's not over, amen. I mean, we've, we've written off 2020. You know, I mean, I know a lot of my pastor friends did series at the beginning of the year that, you know, 2020 vision, it's going to be a great year. Well, it was until it wasn't, okay, until it kind of fell off the table long about February or March. But you know what? The year's not over. And uh, I'm not going to take that we can't redeem anything new. And so what we did is we decided uh, as we come back together, let's do a comeback series. Let's, let's talk about comeback stories in the Bible. We've talked about the prodigal son and the fact that he came home. We've talked about Elijah comes back from meltdown. And today what I want to talk about and look at a comeback story, I want to talk about relational comebacks. How many of you could use a relational comeback maybe somewhere in your life? Yeah. You know, we're in, we're in challenging times. My friend Kerry Newhoff does a blog that I read pretty regularly. And, and he said, if your social feed is like mine, it looks like people are losing their minds. He said, it's Christians too. As the world has become more fragile uh, than it has in perhaps my lifetime, he says, my feed has gotten more and more polarized, partisan, angry, bizarre, and downright weird in 2020. I gotta tell you something, it's cray cray out there. You gotta be careful, it's just, and you know what? As Christians, we gotta be salt and light, but the point he makes is a lot of times we're feeling it. We're we're feeling, you know, a lot of the, the, the relational things. Most of us have, 
during this time had to quit following a friend or family member? Anybody have a testimony to that? I do. Um, and worse yet, maybe a once close personal relationship has been severed and the pain is, is more and bigger than you thought it would be. So here's the question. Does the Bible have anything to say? Does it have examples? And does it have anything to say to the, to the circumstances we find ourselves in today? Does it have anything to say about relational comebacks? Are there examples of friends who drift apart and then have a comeback? Are there principles that we can benefit from and lessons that we can learn? And I'm happy to say there is. And I wanna dig into that just a little bit today. We're gonna take a look at the book of Acts because in the book of Acts, there is an amazing relational comeback story. There are two basic characters, there's three, but two primary characters. Their names are Paul, who used to be called Saul, before he had a dramatic experience with Christ on the road to Damascus. And the other one is Barnabas. And I thought about, how can I creatively talk to you about who they were before we tell their story of a relational comeback? And I thought, let's tell their story in light of the Enneagram. Anybody familiar with Enneagram? Would you, okay, all right. So those of you who are not, it's the, it's the flavor of the day as it comes to personality tests, okay? It's been very helpful. I, I think all of them have been helpful. I like those kind of things. And the Enneagram kind of labels you as a one through nine. And uh, I'm a three. That's kind of the balance point of all of the Enneagram is to be a three, everybody wants to be a three, and God created me a three. <laughs> now, a three is an achiever, okay? Here's the problem with threes. They don't ever finish anything, okay? And one of the success points of Seacoast is that we have a bunch of people who aren't threes who actually follow through on the ideas of threes. Well, uh, in the Enneagram, uh, Paul, the apostle, would be a one. And a one is a reformer or an idealist. Anybody here ones? Anybody a one? Okay, there's, there's a few. A reformer or an idealist. Ones need everything and everybody buttoned up. Let's, let's do it right. They like things done the right way because no one meets their ex expectations and high standards. They're often filled with a bit of anger that boils over in the form of resentment from time to time. Now, if you're married to a one, you know that when they ask you to clean up a, a space that you're in, they're gonna clean it up after you're done. You can clean it up, you can do the best that you can, but it ain't right. Because it doesn't meet their standards, not that I know personally. <laughs> so Paul is a self-proclaimed lover of the law. He's a Pharisee by a political group and, and a religious group. He's an enforcer of the right way, even to the point of murder. This, of course, describes him before his Damascus Road experience. Once he started following Jesus, he gave up his murderous ways, but he didn't abandon his passion for a just world and that we do things right. He's a one, okay? Barnabas, on the other hand, is a seven. Are there any sevens in the room? Sevens are fun. I'm telling you what, sevens are the life of the party. They're energetic, they're lively. Uh, 
And Barnabas is a seven. He's an encourager. A seven, when they throw a party, they want everybody to come. Everybody's got to We don't like small parties. Let's have a big party. And Barnabas is that way. He wants to bring everybody along with him. And so Paul the one meets Barnabas the seven after Paul has a personal turnaround story on the road to Damascus. Now, he'd been a bad dude. He persecuted Christians, even to the point of killing him, the Stephen, great hero of the faith. We first meet Paul as he is standing there as Stephen is stoned to death, and it seems to indicate that he was the leader of the group that, that did that. And, and he has an experience with Jesus which turns everything around. And I wanna tell you something. If you have a family member or you know somebody that you wonder, could they ever make a change? Could they ever be different? You need to read and reread the story of Paul because anybody, anybody can have a turnaround story. But not everybody believes him, okay? And in fact, we're gonna pick up the story in, a, in uh, Acts chapter nine and verse 26. It says, when, when Saul, which was his name before his turnaround, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. I don't blame them. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. And then Barnabas brought to the apostles, brought him to the apostles. Barnabas the seven, gonna bring everybody along. Let's bring everybody to the party. And, uh, and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul, or Barnabas is the guy that says, you can, you can trust this guy, you love me, you come to my parties, I'm bringing him along, he's a good guy. So he introduces him to everybody and he vouches for him, he's an encourager. Now, Paul and Barnabas eventually move to a city called Antioch, which is in current day Turkey, and they become leaders of the church there. And uh, 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 Paul and Barnabas are then appointed to be missionaries, and so Barnabas insists that they take another potential leader that he's discipling along with him whose name is John Mark, okay? You got the story? So Paul and Barnabas are gonna go be missionaries. Barnabas says, hey, let me bring this guy. Happens to be his cousin, we find out later. But he brings him along because he's always got somebody that he's, he's kind of bringing along, all right? And so in uh, uh, Acts chapter 13, it says Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at a port town of Perga. It must be Baptist because it all starts with P. It's alliterated there. Most of you have no idea what that means, but it was pretty cool. And there, well, watch this. And there, John Mark. Who's John Mark? John Mark's the young guy that Barnabas is bringing with him. John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Why did he return? We don't know, I wish it would say. But it wasn't good. Something happened. He didn't do something right, especially in the eyes of Paul, and he left. And as we're gonna learn, it really set Paul off. And it didn't have to be a big thing, okay? Relationally, we can have relational breakdowns over small things. That somebody gave me a magnet here. You know, you, you, let's go back to elementary school. You remember how magnets work? Get them the right way, you're attracted to somebody. There's a relationship, seems to work, you know? We like each other, we enjoy each other's company, we seem to have a lot in common. 
and then something changes. Sometimes it's one person making a total change and it just, you, you can't put it together. Or sometimes it's, it's both of them just turning a little bit and it just doesn't, doesn't work anymore. It, it, it doesn't attract. And so with, with Paul and John Mark, we don't know what John Mark did, but he left. And it really made an image in Paul's heart. So two or three years later, Paul decides it's time to take another trip. Let's follow the story here in Acts 15. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, because they're still really good friends. It's happening for them. They're, they're attracted to one another. They do well. I have it wrong. Here, here it is. Do well. Okay. And uh, he said, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. And here's where it's all gonna fall apart. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. So sharp that they went their own ways, okay? Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus and Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's grace and care. And then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches there. So Paul, who wants to get it right, says, he didn't get it right. He's just gonna bog us down. No, he's not coming. And Barnabas says, no, come on. Let's, let's give him a second chance. Now, just interestingly enough, which, which one would you kind of lean into more? Paul, who says he didn't get it right, or Barnabas, who says, give him a second chance? Yeah, I lean into second chance, all right? Here's what's interesting, though. Luke, who writes this story, doesn't take sides, which I think is really important during our circumstances here because you're gonna have friends uh, that, uh, and we're gonna be talking about you know, your own personal thing, but you got friends that are polarized. Anybody have friends that are polarized? I mean, you got one that especially politically believes this and another one believes that. And uh, you know, it's, it's not real helpful for you to take sides with it. Usually it's more complicated than what it looks like on the surface. And Luke doesn't take sides. Now, you could make a case because it says that the brethren in the church there at Antioch, they laid hands on Paul and Silas, but it, they didn't lay hands on Barnabas. So maybe the church saw that Paul was more correct than Barnabas was. I don't know. I don't know. But, but Luke doesn't take sides and so what can we learn? What can we learn from this story? When Christians don't see eye to eye, let me give you two or three things. Here, here's, here's the first one. Sometimes godly people will disagree. Duh, yeah, right. Well, it's true. Sometimes godly people, godly on both sides, disagree. Paul and Barnabas were both godly people. They just didn't agree. Godly people can disagree on a lot of things. They can disagree on strategy. I remember when we started Seacoast Church and I was a part of a particular denomination that I still love. I'm not a part of the denomination anymore, but I love the, the, the people in there. But I had a different strategy. We had a different strategy in starting this church. Um, it, it kind of wandered a little bit from kind of the, the, the strategy that was typical within the denomination. And, and we wanted to reach unchurched people. We wanted to teach people you know, how to love one another, live with one another, and maybe take some different emphases than what our denomination did. 
And uh, there were people within the denomination, including leaders, that strongly disagreed with me. In fact, Seacoast Church was kind of quarantined for 20 years. <laughs> They'd have meetings in Charleston and say, don't go to church there, you know. Now, it's all been put together, and I speak for national, you know, uh, gatherings of, of my denomination. But there were godly, they were godly people. They weren't evil people, and I'm, I'm a godly person for the most part, you know. And, uh, but we just disagreed on strategy. Godly people can disagree on doctrine. You don't have to drive very far down Long Point Road right here or wherever you happen to be in a campus or where you're uh, in, in your home. You don't have to drive very far from where you sit today to find godly people who disagree on doctrine, okay? Disagree on doctrine. All of our grandkids go to a school. We love the school. Uh, but doctrinally, there's some things that are different. And one teacher at one point took a stand about a doctrinal issue that was different at Seacoast than the church that they were a part of. And it's okay, but with the kids, it was like a right and a wrong. They're godly, this is ungodly, and all of this. And so we had to go talk to them and just said, because the word heretic came out. We said, you know what? We can disagree, it's okay. Godly people see it different ways. But, but if you use the word heretic, then that means one of us is right, one of us is wrong, one of us is godly, one of us is ungodly. So you gotta be careful about that kind of thing because there are godly people that disagree on doctrine. Can we go to politics? You say, why do you talk about that? Because that's all anybody's thinking about right now. And if it wasn't bad enough, a Supreme Court justice dies. It's going to get cray, 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 cray in the next few months. So we need a little instruction here. Um, here's where it gets dicey. I've heard this, I've seen it on Facebook. I don't read Facebook very much, but I've, I've seen it. You can't be a Trump voter and be a Christian, okay? Then I see the other side. You can't be a Democrat and be a Christian. And I go, the last I read being a Christian was about believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we're gonna disagree about some things, but it's okay. But sometimes it's not. In fact, Proverbs 18 and verse 19 says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Any testimonies on that? said, arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars, okay? So the first thought is that sometimes godly people disagree. Be careful about what you disagree on or what you call somebody that doesn't agree with you. And here's the second thought. Diverse people really are better together. They really are. Diverse people in the body of Christ need each other's different strengths. Paul needed Barnabas. Barnabas needed Paul to to kind of, you know, round off the edges just a little bit. We need people who are different than us and think differently than us. Romans chapter 12 and verse four says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well, that's beautiful. When it's not beautiful is when all the noses get in one church. We're just a church full of noses. 
We smell out bad things. We don't need other things. We just need noses here. Then you've got another church full of elbows. They're just elbowing people all the time. There's a whole church full of elbows. We get along with each other, but we don't get along with anybody else. Well, that's not what it, it says, that we are better together. See, we need the Pauls who wanna get it right. We need the Barnabases who wanna make sure that everybody is included. We need those with a heart for social justice. We need those who care about the lost. And God is building a diverse community here at Seacoast, and I love it. See, the goal is not to turn Barnabases into Paul. That wasn't it, and that's not in the, it in the church. The goal is not that we see everything through the exact same lens. The goal is that we help each other, and where one is weak, another is strong, and we listen to one another. God's aim is not that we envy or resent each other, but we rejoice in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit who creates us, plants us in a church, and lets us be just a beautiful expression of Jesus Christ in a crazy, crazy world. See, that's the goal, and it would be a good time to applaud right there. That's just, just a wonderful opportunity. Sometimes we're gonna disagree, but diverse people really are better together. And here's the third thing. Everybody wins when there's a relational comeback. Everybody wins. See, Jesus recognized that we won't always agree and sometimes we won't disagree agreeably. Okay, Jesus recognized that. We're human. How many of you are human? Anybody human here? Anybody ever made a mistake today? Okay, Jesus recognizes that. He recognizes that there are gonna be times when true believers will disagree and they won't do it agreeably and it causes residue. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what he says. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gifts. What does that mean? Well, if we were to compare it to Seacoast, we do response time at the end of the service. We're down to one response. You can well, there's several, but as far as corporately, we, we have prayer for one another. And uh, in the next two weeks, two weeks from now, we're gonna open up the crosses and candles and all that. We're just working on how to do that as safely as we possibly can. And I can't wait. But Jesus would be saying, if you're at Seacoast, come down to the end of the service, what's God saying to you? What are you gonna do about it? And you go to the candles and you get ready to light a candle and you have a thought and you remember somebody who, who you're not getting along with and it's kind of an obvious thing. And, maybe, and there's two different versions of it, so it covers both sides. You remember a friend has odd against you, or you remember that you have odd against a friend. He says, you need to stop lighting that candle right then, put it down, and you need to go deal with it. Because it's so very important. It will corrupt your soul if you let it linger, okay? And so, and so, and so Jesus says, deal with it. Um, I have a, a friend who I've been childhood friends. I mean, we were childhood friends, went to the same church. Uh, we had our first band together, um, roommates in college and beyond. And, uh, and, and something happened. I don't even remember what it was. But something happened and we went silent for 20 or 30 years. 
It's fairly easy because he lived in Colorado. I live here. Our paths didn't cross, but there was something wrong. You just knew it was wrong. I remember being in Denver one year for a vacation, and I was actually reading this scripture, and the Spirit of the Lord said, you need to leave it right where it's at right now, and you need to go find him. You need to deal with it. I thought, you know, I mean, it's been years. It's not that big of a thing, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just wouldn't go away. So I called him up, and I said, let's... Uh, Let's have coffee together. So we went to a restaurant, we had coffee, and it was kind of awkward. It was a little bit painful, but it was very, very productive. Now, I, would, I would say today, we're not best friends. We're miles apart on some issues, but my life is richer, and his is too. Recently, uh, he went through a, a real medical situation, and he he texted me, direct messaged me, and said, would you pray with me about this? We went back and forth in, in, in our cancer, in our family over the last year. It's just, it's just been something that's, that's brought us even closer, closer. Like I said, we're, we're different. We don't see eye to eye on just about anything, never did. But there is a peace in knowing that we were obedient to Jesus. I, I'm ashamed of the fact that I wasn't obedient sooner. Let me tell you something. When you do it, when you get it right, it's not just about the two of you, it's about your kids watching how this whole thing works. It's about your neighbors wondering if your Christianity really makes any difference at all or if it's just a title and a tag that you have, okay? And so, practical steps for restoring a damaged relationship. I'll go through them real quick. Number one, be honest, just be honest. First John, Chapter one and verse seven says, as we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So just be honest. If something's bothering you, you know, be honest about it. Don't deny it. Be willing to, 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 uh, uh, to face it and to talk about it instead of just ignoring it. Problems won't just go away. They gotta be solved, right? And so, and so just be honest. Uh, number two, be prompt. Jesus says, leave your gift there. The longer you leave a problem unresolved, the more likely it is to get better, right? Uh, no, not at all. The longer you leave a problem unresolved, the more likely it is to faster and get worse. And so, and so Jesus says, tackle them as they arise. Number three, be realistic. Be realistic. Then we really need this one as much as any of the others. Uh, look at Colossians 3 and verse 13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. How many of you have faults? Anybody have faults? Raise your hand. Okay. You have one. Okay, I heard one. Let me help you with that just a little bit. <laughs> you have faults, and the person that you're having a difficult time with right now has faults. And the Bible says, None of you are perfect. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Allow for the faults of somebody else, okay? Allow for their faults. Don't commit to changing things that probably aren't gonna change. Listen, a one is never gonna be a seven, all right? And there are, there are times, uh, someone said one time that, that some things are problems to be solved and some things are tensions to be managed. And that's the faults of others. Sometimes can be, it can be solved or sometimes it's just a different personality type. It's probably not gonna change. Just let's learn to manage this tension, all right? Be realistic. Number four, be forgiving. Forgive anyone who offends you, Colossians 3. 
Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. As imperfect people living in a fallen world, you and your friends are bound to make mistakes. And here's what he says. Be willing to forgive each other every time. Can you say every time? Every time. Let's say it again. Every time. Say it at home. Every time. Every time it happens, we've gotta be willing to forgive. You say, well, how many times do I have to do this? That sounds like the apostles or the, when they came to Jesus and Jesus gave them a huge number, which wasn't, had nothing to do with the number. What he was saying is infinite times. You forgive as often as it's necessary because refusing to forgive will poison your soul. Listen, my reason for practicing forgiveness is pretty much selfish. It really is, because I don't know if the other person's gonna change, but I know if I don't forgive, it's gonna poison my soul. And I wanna have a good life. <laughs> I wanna make it a great day. And so the way that you do it is that you forgive. You forgive. It'll block your ability to be close, not just to your friend, but also to God. So forgive. Choosing to forgive will give you freedom. And don't wait until you feel like forgiving your friend or yourself or whoever it happens to be because you likely never will feel like. There's never a good time to do the right thing. Okay? Instead, trust God to help you. Expect that your feelings will follow your actions. Fake it till you make it. Okay? Just forgive, forgive, forgive. So here we go. Remember that godly people will sometimes disagree. Diverse people are, really are better together and everybody wins when there's a relational comeback. So let's go back to the premise of the message as I close. What about Paul and Barnabas? Was there a relational comeback? I wish there was a, there was a scene in the Bible where it says that Paul came to Barnabas and said, I'm sorry. And Barnabas said to him, oh no, it's me, I'm sorry. And they hugged or elbow bumped or you know, whatever it is that they did at the time. But it's not in there. But if you dig and if you investigate, you can see evidences of a relational comeback. See in 1 Corinthians chapter nine and verse six, which happens much later than the, the passage that we studied at the beginning, Paul refers to Barnabas as a coworker in the gospel. He says, he's my coworker in the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter four, toward the end of his life, Paul says this, he says, he's in a prison, he says, only Luke is here with me, okay? Luke is the writer who wrote Acts and Luke, okay? He says, only Luke is here with me. Would you get Mark, who's Mark? Mark is John Mark, who abandoned him early on, who was the cause of Paul and Barnabas split. He said, would you get him and bring him with me because he is helpful to me in my ministry, I love this. Apparently, they got it worked out. And we, all of us, are better as a result of it. In a world that's gone relationally crazy, church, let's be the exception. Church, let's be the pattern. Let's, let's be an example of how diversity is okay. People don't have to think the same way. But if they love Jesus, and if Jesus has forgiven them, and they forgive everybody. There's one last scripture that I wanna leave you with. Um, I'm, I'm telling you what, the, 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 the word is so rich and so good, and during this time of uh, this COVID, there have been times when, when I've felt everything that I'm preaching against right now. I've, I've felt like, you know, just blasting somebody, you know, with 
Facebook. Anybody else felt like that and didn't do it? Praise God. Here's what I do is I write it out and then sleep on it and then delete it. But there's been a scripture that's lived with me. And I believe it's a scripture for our church in these times. It's Ephesians chapter four and verse one. It says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And that's what it is. That's, that's the big deal. It's calling. It's identity. Senator, you and I talked about identity. And by the way, happy birthday to you. We talked, that'd be a place for applause real quick. Yeah, okay. It's about identity. It's about identity. Whatever you primarily identify with, it's gonna, it's gonna impact and derail everything else. And Paul says to me, he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You're a child of God. You're a Christian, that's primarily what you are. You've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Or in the words of the great theologian, Tim McGraw, always be humble and kind. It's a good song. Be patient with one another. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's who we are. That's what we want. We're peacemakers in the world today. And it's a wonderful place. And you know what? We've got great job security out there. Would you agree with that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your goodness. I thank you for this wonderful group of people, uh, both here in this building and other locations and in homes across this city and around the world. God, we are grateful for our calling of who you've called us to be, that we identify primarily and first of all as believers, Jesus Christ. Lord, we choose to forgive when there's relational issues. God, I pray that during our response time right now that, that we would uh, do a deep dive, a deep examination, and keep our hearts right before you. And so God, I, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.